Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Avrachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, we thank you for this Shabbat. We thank you for this opportunity to gather together as Mishpacha's family to worship before you, to hear your voice and to encounter you. Father, I pray that you will speak boldly into our hearts and our lives, that it will be your word heard, your voice received, that nothing in me will be involved except that which you have ordained specifically for this purpose. And Father, I pray that you will breathe new life into us, that as we leave this place today, we will leave here prepared and hungry for leading the world around us to your throne and for uh, encouraging people around us to seek Messiah's face and to know him more. Father, I pray that your besor, your good news of Yeshua Mashiach will boil up within us and that we will see many as we read in this period of time in our Torah cycle, we will see many come to find the freedom from slavery to sin as can only be found in Yeshua Mashiach. Hashem Yeshua Meshachinu, in the name of Yeshua our Messiah we pray and everyone says, Amen and Amen. So, this week we're in Parsha Bo, uh, which is Exodus chapter 10, 1 through 13, uh, verse 16. As uh, you know, over the past few weeks, we have been doing uh, a sermon series on discipleship. We haven't uh, been following along with the Torah Parsha and the messages just on our Torah service itself. And so this week we're picking up kind of in the middle of a narrative here, right? We, the last several weeks, uh, we've read about Moses uh, and his encounter at the burning bush at Mount Sinai. We've read about Moses and his reluctant willingness uh, to follow the Lord's leading and to make his way back to uh, Egypt to lead Israel out. We've read about the beginnings of the plagues and, uh, and everything that's going on there. And then this week we pick up with the, uh, the plague of locusts and, and the, the narrative there. And so as we're looking at this week's Parsha and kind of a uh, synopsis, if you would, over the last several weeks of the Torah cycle, uh, we're going to hone in on one very particular concept, one very particular idea, and I believe that this is the jux of the reality of the book of Exodus. It's the reality of what God is showing us and revealing to us through his word as we look at the nation of Israel and as we look at the body of Messiah as a whole. And I believe that this is a very timely and important message for us as we look at where we stand within the body of Messiah today moving forward in uh, preparation for the return of Messiah. So if you have your scriptures, go ahead and open up to Exodus chapter 10, beginning with verse 1, the very beginning of this week's Parsha, Exodus 10, beginning with verse 1. It says, Then Adonai said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, because I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, so that I might show these my signs and their midst. And you say, and so you may tell your son and your grandchildren that I have done it, what I've done in Egypt, as well as my signs that I did among them. So you may know that I am Adonai. So right out the gate, the beginning of the Parsha, he says, I want you to do this so that you may tell your sons and your grandchildren what I have done in Egypt, as well as my signs that I did among them, so that you may know that I am Adonai. And then we skip down to verse 7. It says, Pharaoh's servant said to him, How long will this man be a snare for us? Send the men uh, so they may serve Adonai their God. Don't you realize yet that Egypt is being destroyed? So verse 7, does that sound loosely familiar to anyone? 
You know, as we look through the Torah, especially, and through the Tanakh as a whole, we see some really unique foreshadowings, if you would, of what we know to have occurred in the narrative of the Gospels themselves. And as we look at verse 7 in particular, uh, it's really interesting that Pharaoh's uh, servants, his wise men, his advisors are screaming to him, How long will this man, speaking of Moses, be a snare to us? Send the man, men so they may serve out on either God. Don't you realize yet that Egypt is being destroyed? We go forward to the Gospel of John, and there's a man named Caiaphas. Anybody remember Caiaphas? Caiaphas was a high priest of the, the, during the days of, of Yeshua's ministry. And as the Pharisees and the Sadducees are arguing over what to do with Yeshua and the, 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 the kind of raucous that he's starting in Israel and the fears that they have, because you've got to remember, for generations leading up to Yeshua's life, the Jewish people had constantly been elevating individuals that they called the Messiah and then revolting against the empire under whose thumb they were under uh, as a means of, of trying to bring forth this idea of the Messiah bringing freedom from oppression and so on and so forth. And this was no different under the Roman authority and under Roman rule. And so Israel continued to elevate these individuals as Messiah, as this, this kind of... Uh, um, fighting warrior king and they would begin to chase after him and go to rebel against Rome and Rome is a pretty big you know empire and they were kind of the world power of the day and they were pretty good about saying what they thought when they thought it and meaning what they said when they said it and so they came to Israel and said look here's the deal you do this again and we will wipe you off the face of the map you will never exist in history again do not fight against us under some you know Joe Schmo you think is the Messiah this is ridiculous we will kill you and so by the time we get to Yeshua, Israel has received this message from Rome, and the Pharisees and Sadducees, who are the leaders of Israel of the day, were like, you know, is it really worth it? Like, if we let the people rile up against him as the Messiah, and if they get this angst to go revolt against Rome, is he really worth us dying for? And Caiaphas comes back to uh, the rulers of Israel today, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and Caiaphas, the high priest, and I believe a very prophetic word says, very similar to what uh, Pharaoh's advisors here say, do you not understand that it is better that one man dies on behalf of the people than that the people die because of one man? Very similar to what Pharaoh's servants his advisors saying to him do you not understand that this guy is going to cause Egypt to be destroyed if we don't deal with him just let them go send the men out just be done with it and it's a very similar uh, kind of foreshadowing prophetically of what we see Caiaphas speak about Yeshua just before Yeshua's death do you not understand it better that one man dies on behalf of the people than that the people die because of this man and I believe that this was a prophetic statement from Caiaphas. I believe that he was speaking the voice in the heart of the Lord and recognizing whether or not he truly believed, I cannot tell you. But in recognizing that it was necessary for Yeshua to die on behalf of the people of Israel, for Yeshua to die on behalf of all mankind in order to bring us freedom. And so we see this kind of foreshadowing, this foretelling, if you would, in the imagery and, and the themes that we read about in the book of Exodus. And we pick up with verse 8. So Moses and Aaron were brought before Pharaoh again. And Pharaoh says, Go serve Adonai your God, but who will be going? And Moses responds very boldly and very proudly. We will go with our young and our elderly, our sons and our daughters. Kind of sounds like in Deuteronomy, the blessings and curses. This is not just before you today who are standing here today before the Lord, but this is before your sons 
and your daughters, your old and your young, now and generations to come, right? We see this uh, imagery over and over again. We will go with our young and our elderly, our sons and our daughters. We will go with our flocks and our herds, for we must have Adonai's feast for him. Notice they haven't been given instructions of a feast yet. The Lord said, I just want you to bring them out and bring them back here. And as a sign to you, Moses, that it really was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that sent you to do this crazy, is I will have you come back to this very mountain and the people of Israel will join you and worship before me here. And so here we see Moses prophetically saying, we must go to celebrate the feast before the Lord. Well, we know that these feasts don't exist yet, right? They haven't been commanded yet. But we see the kind of implanting, if you would, in the hearts of the people of Israel, this concept, because right as this is all going out, what we're going to read about over the course of this Parsha and next week's Parsha is what becomes the commemoration that we're observing in Pesach or in Passover, the feast of Passover, and what they end up experiencing at the base of Mount Sinai, which is ultimately where Moses is trying to take them already, is what we know as Shavuot, or in the church world, Pentecost, when the audible voice of the Lord was heard by the nation of Israel, which then later in Leviticus 23 is given to Israel as a eternal moed, an eternal appointed day in which we encounter the presence of the Lord. It says, we will go with our young and our elderly, our sons and our daughters. We will go with our flocks and our herds, for we must have Adonai's feast for him. But he said to them, so may Adonai be with you if I ever let you go with your little ones. In other words, you know what? You're right. The one and only God of the universe is absolutely true and real and with you if I ever let your kids go out with you. Take your men and go and never stand before me again. He says, seek clearly now evil is in your face not so in other words you will not go out with your children go now the men and serve Adonai for that's what you were seeking then they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence the Lord sent Moses to lead the entire nation out of slavery in Egypt not just the men to go to the mountain to worship and to come back to slavery interestingly enough not just for the nation to leave slavery in Egypt and instead attach themselves to slavery, to sin, and the enemy. Which is what we end up doing when we finally get out of Egypt and we get on the other side of the water and the first thing we do is grumble against God. What did you do? You brought us out here to die. We couldn't have died well enough in Egypt. They weren't already trying to kill us. You had to bring us out here to speed up the process. We go forward to uh, verse 21. Then, Moses, then Adonai said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven this is after the locust this is now the 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 plague of darkness stretch out your hand toward heaven and there will be darkness over the land of egypt a darkness that may be felt so moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was a thick darkness in all the land of egypt for three days they could not see one another nor could anyone rise from his place for three days yet all ben israel all the children of israel had light within their dwellings in goshen where israel was kind of quarantined all the way back from joseph bringing them into egypt where they were kind of quarantined as as shepherds and herders um in goshen they had light but all the rest of egypt was in darkness pharaoh called moses and said go serve adonai only let your flocks and your herds remain your little ones may go may also go with you so we're watching the progression right in the early stages of the plagues you can't go anywhere you're not going anywhere. Then it was, okay, well, your men can go. Okay, well, you and your kids and your wives can go, but your herds must stay behind. There's always this yearning to try and have some sort of a string for the puppet master to hold on to to bring us back. But what is it that the Lord told Moses would happen? The Lord told Moses that you will leave Egypt with Egypt's wealth and prosperity. Right? 
when the Lord finally allows for Israel to leave Egypt, they leave not only with the, uh, the, the wealth and the necessary uh, gold and materials and such in order to build the tabernacle, which is what they will ultimately do towards the end of Exodus. They leave with everything they need to build the tabernacle. But it also tells us that when they leave Egypt, they leave Egypt with Egypt's armory. They leave with the weapons of Egypt. The Lord has provided not only a means for the future of Israel, but he's provided a means for the protection of Israel as well when they finally leave Egypt. And so he says, go, serve Adonai only. Let your flocks and your herds remain. Your little ones may also go with you. And picking up in verse uh, 25 of chapter 12, when you come into the land, which this is the Lord picking up the story, when you come to the land which Adonai will give you as he promised you are to keep, and the word in Hebrew here for keep is the same word that's used in verse 24 where it says also you are to observe this event as an eternal ordination, uh, uh, an eternal ordinance. He says you are to keep this ceremony, speaking of Pesach or Passover. The Hebrew word there is the word shomer, uh, from the Hebrew word shamar, which is to keep, to protect, to guard, uh, it's a primitive word, the, the root word shamar. It's a primitive root properly to hedge about um, as, if, as if with thorns. So like putting holly bushes around your windows so creepers don't climb in your windows. Um, that is guard generally to protect, uh, attend to, etc. Beware, be circumspect, take heed, uh, keep, mark, look narrowly, observe, preserve, regard, reserve, save, uh, wait, and watch. And so this is where we get the, get the idea of uh, the Shomrim, the watchmen on the wall that we are to protect and guard this festival, this feast of Pesach as we go into the promised land, into the promises of God, we are to care for it. It's not just something we observe, but it's something that we protect and we guard and there's a future and a, a reason for that. Verse 26, now when it happens that your children ask you, what does the ceremony mean to you? You are to say it is the sacrifice of Adonai's Passover because he passed over the houses of Bnei Israel in Egypt when he struck down the Egyptians but spared our households. So the people bowed their heads in worship. The Bnei Israel went out and did they did uh, went out and did it. They uh, did just as Adonai had commanded Moses and Aaron. So now we're seeing this idea of the children come up again and again in chapter 13. He says that they do this for their children so that when their children hear what they are, see what they're doing, they ask, why is it we do this? And we're to tell them it's because of the freedom and the protection the Lord brought us from Egypt and all the signs and wonders and miracles he did to bring us out of Egypt. And as we look at this portion, we realize there's this recurring theme of our children of the generations to come, the generations that will follow after us. And if we remember paying attention to the beginning of the book of Exodus, what was it that Pharaoh was trying to wipe out to begin with? The children of Israel, right? The future of Israel. It says these, these people of Israel are growing too numerous and too mighty for us, and, and, and they're, they're outpacing us in numbers. And if our enemies come to attack us, they may join with our enemies and fight against us. So we've got to get rid of them. Let's put them under slavery. Oh, and by the way, kill all of the sons that are born. And then it progresses from there over and over again, which, by the way, is a foreshadowing of yet another narrative we read in the Gospels which is when uh, Yeshua was, uh, was born and the, the leadership of Israel was trying to, at Roman uh, uh, command, was trying to kill all of the males, all of the sons born in Israel to, to Jewish families 
specifically to stop the Messiah from coming in Egypt with Pharaoh. It was specifically to stop Moses from coming. Lo and behold, the very thing that he was trying to stop from happening not only is born anyways and is able to escape the death sentence that was put on his head as a son born of Israel, but beyond that was saved by Pharaoh's household himself, was raised in Pharaoh's household, and was 40 years serving, living, breathing under the household and the authority of Pharaoh himself. He was raised, Moses was raised as the grandson of Pharaoh. He was raised in essence to take over the throne of Pharaoh when the time came. And not only that, but as all of this is happening, what we realize is that the Lord provided a means for there to be at least some remnant of Moses' understanding of who he really was as a Hebrew child. Right? Because in the first couple of years of his life, he was able to be weaned and nursed by his mother uh, and had this relationship there. And I imagine she instilled some sort of an understanding of their heritage and their history and who they were. And so when the time finally arose that Moses is 40 years old and he walks out and he sees one of the slave masters of Egypt that is beating one of the Israelites that is abusing them, he comes out and he kills the guy because he, he starts to feel this yearning deep within, this understanding, this reminder that these are my people. I may not look like them. They may not look like me. I may not talk like them. They may not talk like me, but these are my people. And I believe that at that point, he began to feel this yearning of what God was doing in his life. And so Pharaoh, uh, Moses then comes out the next day, and he sees these two Israelites that are arguing. He goes, hey, 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 what are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you arguing? You guys are our brothers. You should be all right. And they said, what, are you going to kill us like you did the Egyptian the other day? And Moses takes off running for his life, and he spends 40 years in the wilderness spends 40 years, as a matter of fact, in relatively the same territory that he's ultimately going to lead Israel through. So we see that he's raised in Pharaoh's household. He's raised as Pharaoh's grandson. He's raised with an immediate connection to Pharaoh. You ever wonder why the first time he showed up to Pharaoh, Pharaoh didn't just chop his head off right then and there? This was the kid that was his grandson. It may be 40 more years before he sees him again, but this is his grandson. He's got a soft spot in his heart for him. You think the most powerful man in the world, if this guy, this little pipsqueak, was really being an annoyance to him, he wouldn't just yell off with his head and be done with it? The Lord had prepared every step of the way for Moses from when he was a child all the way through. And what we see in this week's Parsha is over and over again this idea of the children. First, Pharaoh wanted to kill the children of Israel. Then when it came time that he was halfway okay with sending Israel out to go do whatever the crazy was they needed to do and they could come back again, he wanted to hold on to the children of Israel so that they couldn't leave. And then when he finally sends them away and they finally go out, what is it that pays the price for their, their freedom? It's the children of Egypt. We go forward to Yeshua and to the birth of Yeshua and who is it that is ultimately going to be paying the price to try and stop Messiah from coming? It's the children. Who is it that the Lord tells us over and over again that the things that we do in our life and our practice and our worship are here to benefit? It's our children. He says when you celebrate Passover, you're to do it in a way that your children will ask you, why is it we do this? And we get to express to them the reality of God's hand and His might and His power for His people. The same thing for Sukkot and the same thing for everything else that we do. It is so that our children say, why? Why do we do this? And why is it so important? Because the enemy wants nothing more than to demolish our children. Not because our children are somehow better than we are or whatever, but because our children, especially as believers in Mashiach, our children are the future of the message of Messiah. Our children are the future of what will ultimately usher in the return of Mashiach who will crush the enemy's head. 
He couldn't stop Messiah, though he tried over and over and over again. He will not be able to stop Messiah's return, though he try over and over and over again. But he can demolish, or at least attempt to demolish, our children and our future and how we share the word of the Lord with the world around us. And if you think about it, how many families are there in the body of Messiah? How many families are there in the world around us as a whole that are broken families? How many families are there in the world around us that are fatherless? Who children are grown up? And look, if we're honest about it, um, most of us coming from, from families that have both parents as we grow up or, or you know, step-parents and parents as we grow up and we grow up in you know, kind of a whole home, if you would, the, the, the reality is, is most of us as kids still come out with some sort of damage. Right? This is the world we live in. And it's not to say that our parents intentionally did something against us or didn't, but most of us come out with some sort of damage. And the enemy loves to use that to hold us down, to destroy the message of Messiah that can come forth from us. This is what I like to call spiritual warfare. When we talk, as we do in our Torah service, about the importance of our children and watching them and seeing the joy and the anticipation and the glee in their hearts as they come up to partake in the service, that is vitally important for us to watch because this is the way we are to approach Him, but even more so, this is what we want from our children. The reason here at Congregation Mayim Chaim we have this intention of allowing our kids to be kids. If you paid attention, uh, if you watch things, you go in and out to the bathroom or to get coffee or whatever it is, you'll notice that back wall back there at the back of the sanctuary, there's like kids' bulletins and coloring pages on the floor and crayons around. And you'll see the kids kind of roaming around and they're going to and from their parents and they're back there. And then they rush up here as quick as they possibly can to beat whoever else is beside them to come up for the Torah service. And, and to us as parents and, and, and to, to some of the people in the congregation, this may sometimes be an annoyance anybody that saw me kind of call my son around the corner and I squat down to get onto him a little bit this morning because last week he was a train wreck up here and I didn't want him to do that again this week sometimes it's an annoyance to us but I've heard and seen kids who grew up in congregations where they were constantly told to sit down and shut up where they were constantly told that children would be uh, seen and not heard where they were constantly told that, you know, you should go stay with your parents and, and not get involved and you shouldn't do. And those children grew up, in essence, they were told by every adult they ever came into contact with that this isn't a place that they're supposed to want to be. And what makes us think that when these little kids who are always told they're not wanted grow up, that they're ever going to want to be here? You know why McDonald's is so successful? It's not because their food's great, because it's really not not because their food's ever really been great because it's really not it's because of the stupid happy meals because if you can get the kids to want to come back over and over and over again anybody that's had a little kid will know they will never shut up about it i want a happy meal i want a happy meal i want a happy and you know what we should have kids that are screaming i want to go to synagogue 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 and we as adults should be looking at them and learning what it is that they're wanting so that we can go i want to go to synagogue 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 over and over and over again the reality is is that the body of messiah today and and messianic judaism this is it's not an issue that is acute to us, but it is an issue that is very much a pertinent reality in the Messianic Jewish movement today. My generation, 
right? I'm technically a cusper at the edge of Gen, Gen X and, and millennial. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we come up with all kinds of different names for ourselves to not be in one or the other. But uh, the reality is, is I, I tend to lean more towards the Gen X kind of mindset on things. But the reality is, is that the Messianic movement as a whole, and, and honestly, the body of Messiah as a whole, unfortunately kind of wrote off Generation X. It wasn't necessarily intentional, and it wasn't necessarily something that, that we, we wanted to do, but as a whole, the body of Messiah and, and Messianic Judaism, it's not an issue that's acute to us, but it is a very pertinent and real issue in Messianic Judaism today, is my generation is all but non-existent in the Messianic movement today. We grew up in it. We all went to synagogue all the time. Many of us, our parents were rabbis and what have you, but, but my generation is all but non-existent in the Messianic Jewish movement today. And there are fewer and fewer millennials that are coming into Messianic Jewish congregations. And there are fewer and fewer millennials and Gen Xers that are getting involved in leadership and answering their call within the context of a Messianic synagogue. And the Messianic movement today, finally, 30 years later, are going, we messed up big. We've got to figure out how to get the millennials involved. We've got to figure out how to reach millennials. And we've got to figure out, and while we're focused now so heavily on millennials, we're ignoring the fact that there's two more generations that have been born since then. We're ignoring the fact that millennials are now graduating college. Some of them are graduating with master's degrees and beyond. And we're so focused on reaching the millennials that we're now writing off the next two generations after them. We're so far behind. Like Anybody that's driven in Baldwin County, right? Baldwin County is growing rapidly. It has been for two decades now. I mean, it's crazy the amount of people, the influx of people that are coming to Baldwin County. And the infrastructure of Baldwin County has been 20 years behind for 70 years, right? I, I don't know that it's really been incorporated for 70 years, but still, it's been 20 years behind forever. And now we're doing all of this road work, like the expresses are open now, which really aren't expresses because it shouldn't be friggin' red light at an express, but that's a whole different story. You've got the expresses that are open. You've got uh, all of the stuff going on over here at, at 181 and the interstate. You've got uh, 181 getting expanded and 31 getting expanded and 98 getting, I don't know, whatever it is, they're always messing up on 98 and everywhere else. This whole county, everybody's like trying to rebuild the infrastructure to finally catch up with, but even at that, we're so far behind on trying to catch up with that we're never going to catch up with where we've already fallen behind at. And the reality is, is we as the body of Messiah have done this. We have stopped being focused on doing what we do in the Lord for our children to say why and we've been focused on doing what we do in the Lord because we're supposed to do it the reality is as many of us have stopped asking why we've gotten so caught in the rote practice of it all we've got so caught up in the robotics of what it looks like to be a person of faith what it looks like to be a follower of Messiah what it looks like to be a messianic believer that we've forgotten the why and we're just doing the do. And our children look at the do without the want for the why, and our children go, but why do I want that? As opposed to why do we do this, it's why would I ever want that? And we wonder why we're 30 years behind on reaching the generations that come. The enemy wants this. As you've heard me say over and over again, confusion and division is the enemy's single goal to destroy the reach of the body of Messiah. And we are a bunch of idiots, if we're honest about it, because we allow him to do whatever the mess he wants in our midst, bringing division, bringing all of this mess in, bringing anger and, and aggression and arguments. And we have de de denominations upon denominations upon denominations dividing out of all these other denominations because we're angry about carpet color or we don't like how many times communion's done or we don't like this or we don't like that or whatever else, as opposed to simply going, you know what? 
None of that's a salvational issue. How about we just recognize that Yeshua is coming back for a bride, not thousands of brides. He's not coming back for thousands of denominations who are vying to be the bride. He's coming back for his bride, singular. And we can either be a part of that or we should just get out of his way. Because in the same way that Pharaoh's been screaming in this Parsha, you can go, but your children have to stay behind. I want to have that control of your future. The enemy's doing the same thing to the body of Messiah. You can go do whatever you want. Go look like Yeshua all you want. Go talk to people about Yeshua all you want. But I'm going to wreck your kids so that your kids never do what you're doing. Because I'm not worried about you. You're not a threat, but your children are the future of this. If I do my job right, the enemy says, then your message dies out when you die. And he wants to kill the generations that come. And we've allowed it. We've allowed for my generation and the millennials to fall to the wayside. And now we're, how can we make things look more entertaining and more inviting to millennials? And millennials are going, but I see through the show you're putting on. Because millennials have been raised in a post-truth era where, you know, you can put on whatever show you want, but they can see straight through you. And they can see that you're still hideous on the inside. And you're telling them they got to clean up their lives, but your life's a total wreck. And by the way, the you is collective because it includes me too. I'm not like pointing fingers at nobody. This is the reality of who we are today. But it is vitally important that we as the body of Messiah recognize that everything we do, whether you have children or not, whether your children are grown or little, it doesn't matter. Everything that we do as believers and Messiah should be for the sole purpose of watching little ones cry out, why? With a hunger and a thirst to know more. Because if our focus is not on generations to come, we should stop focusing on reaching the generations that are. Matthew 19, verse 13. Then the little children were brought to Yeshua so that he might lay hands upon them and pray. Then the disciples rebuked those who brought them. Reminds me of the parents and the, the, the elders and deacons and congregations that say, sit down and shut up. Nobody wants to hear you. Pay attention to what's going on on the stage. And her kids are going, but why am I not wanted? The disciples, this is Peter and his boys that are sitting rebuking people for bringing kids to Yeshua. How many of us have been guilty of this? But Yeshua said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. After laying hands, laying his hands upon them, he went on from there. Matthew 20, or sorry, Mark 21, verse 14. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the ruling Kohanim and the Torah scholars saw the wonder he performed, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hoshiana to Ben David, they became indignant. The ruling Kohanim and the Torah teachers, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the priests became indignant when the children screamed, Hoshiana ben, ben, uh, uh, ben David. But if we go back just a few verses to the beginning, we see what the churches all around us celebrate on Palm Sunday, which is the nation of Israel screaming these very same words, waving palm branches at Messiah as he came down the streets of Jerusalem. And they're screaming out, Hoshiana to Ben David, and nobody cares until the children say it. The children say it, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the priests of the day become indignant because they realize the future is hungry for Messiah. 
And they said to him, do you hear what these children are saying? Yes, Yeshua said to them, haven't you ever read out of the mouth of babes and nursing toddlers? You have prepared a praise for yourself. Then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany and he spent the night there. It isn't about what you and I do. That's important. But it's about the legacy we leave behind. It's our children's hunger for the Lord that drives the enemy berserk. It's our children's hunger for the Lord as they grow up that drives the enemy mad. Because it's when our children are growing hungry for Him and yearning for Him and saying, why is it we do what we do? I want to know more. I want to dig deeper. What is it with the four glasses of wine? What is it with the horseradish? What is it with the parsley? What is it with the lamb? What is it with all of this? Why do we do this? And we get the opportunity over and over and over again to share about the work of Messiah and the salvation and freedom that He has brought. And our children grow up hungry and yearning to teach it to their children and their children and their children. Because the Lord said, it is not for you and I. This is what he says in Deuteronomy and the blessings and curses. It's not for you and I that are here today, but for everyone that will come after us. It's the same thing Yeshua says in his prayer in John 17. I pray not just for these who stand here today, but for everyone who will hear and know me because of their message. It's important that you and I recognize our legacy is not just the number of people that we think we led to the Lord. Our legacy is not just the impact financially we left on the body of Messiah. Our legacy is not how we lived our lives, but our legacy is how we inspire the little ones to draw closer to the Lord. Our legacy is not being Peter and the disciples rebuking the parents for bringing their children to come to meet the promised Messiah of Israel in flesh and blood. It is time that we encourage our children to want to worship the Lord, not to sit down and shut up. And it's time that you and I watch our children and their passion for serving the Lord, and we wake up to the call of the Lord to approach Him with that heart, because He is our Father. And we are His children, heirs to His kingdom, and we have every right to climb up on His lap like a little kid and cuddle up next to Him. That's why He says over and over again that we are to be gathered into His bosom. That's an image in Hebrew, uh, an image of cuddling, if you would. Like when you hold a baby really close and you're cuddling. I think about my, Natanel loves to cuddle, right? And, and I know the day's going to come where you know, he's going to get over that. And I'm hoping it doesn't anytime soon. But he loves it. And he will constantly run over. Daddy, I just want to cuddle with you. Daddy, I just want to hug you. Daddy, I just want to hang on to you. And I didn't grow up with a dad that was constantly saying, just come hug me, come love me, come be close to me. My dad and I have had this conversation. Like, I'm not being mean to him, right? Don't think I'm, like, talking trash about him. We've had this conversation. I didn't grow up with that because he didn't grow up with that. And I've told my dad and I've told my son he will never experience that because I want my child to understand how important it is to run to the loving embrace of his father. And I need to see that reminder of what's waiting for me every time I run to my heavenly father. The enemy wants to destroy our kids because our kids are our legacy. The enemy wants to destroy the future of the body of Messiah because it is the legacy. And it's time that we wake up to that reality and we stop giving the enemy the ground that he does not deserve. The ground that he has no right to. And we take claim to the reality that we, as followers of Messiah Yeshua, 
are supposed to live our lives for the Lord in a way that others see it, that our children see it, and they say, why? And I want that. Avrachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, we thank you that you have such compassion for the little ones, that you have such compassion for us, that you constantly remind us that in your eyes we are children and that you want to hold us and draw us close to you, that you want to love us with such a passion and a, a compassion upon us, with such an embrace and, and such uh, emotion. And Father, far too often we try to run from that and we're afraid of it or we dislike it. Father, far too often we are telling our kids to sit down and shut up rather than saying, join with me and worship. The enemy kept saying through Pharaoh, leave your kids behind. And sometimes as we are in worship, Lord, we are guilty of taking on the role of Pharaoh and pushing our kids behind. But Father, teach us to fight like Moses, to take our children to the mountain with us, to take our children into your presence with us that we may see what that looks like and yearn to approach your presence with such a passion as that of our children. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray. Amen.